The Rodcast with Rod Black, brought to you by North Star Bets. That's a win. Now here's your host, Rod Black. Well, welcome everybody to uh, to the studio. Nice digs. <laughs> nice. This is like a talk show, and, and we got a great guest. Uh, my my first guest on a on a couch. You can lie down if you like. I might have to. Depends <laughs> depends how deep you want to go into things. And the best beard in the business, Chris Johnston, uh, senior NHL executive, president, insider, editor. I mean, how many other places do you work for? You're kind of like me. We work for everybody. Well, that's that's the name of the game now. So I got a couple other jobs, but uh, this is my main one. Can I touch your beard? You can. Just a little bit. Like look at that. Oh, look at that. Okay, tell me before we get started. I mean, I remember you years ago and you didn't have the beard. Right. How did that start? So it started back when I was working at Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. In the summer, I just grew it. You know, I, we're, we're off in the summertime in the hockey business. And, you know, I liked it. And I actually went to a party at Nick Kiprios' house. He had like a summer barbecue, my colleague at the time. And our stylist, Deb Berman, was there. And she's like, hey, that works for you. Yeah, it does. And I was like, that's great. And she actually had to fight a little bit at the, you know, I was never subjected to it, but to some of the boss level to, to have it stick. You got kind of a Conor McGregor kind of thing. Well, I think right? at that time. Did you, did you do like that? No? Yeah, a little bit. And, <laughs> and look, I'm a little older now, but at that time I was younger, of course. And, yeah. and they th actually thought it maybe gave me a little bit of gravitas. So now I might not need it. Now it's like, oh, there's a lot of gray in there maybe. But uh, it, it really, I stumbled on it by accident and I, I like it and I'm going to keep it as yeah. long as my TV bosses let me. Yeah, it's good. Well, you're, you work for you, you, TV bosses, we'll see how, how that goes with all of them because they, they yeah, picky. Oh, this this the flavor this week. <laughs> Would you please shave your head? What? <laughs> no, no. Don't wear this color no, suit. No, well, there you go. I've had that. I've, I've had that before too. I actually did this. I don't know if you because I was doing so many events, and I wanted to see if this worked because we we do get we might as well say it we get clothing allowances. Right. Clearly, we're not using them today. No. But I wanted to see you know exactly if the the public kind of was on top of that. I think it's a little bit different. For some people, maybe analysts because you're on camera more. So, Dwayne Ford and I, we were doing football. We wore the same suit and jacket and tie for 10 straight games. Wow. And nobody ever knew. Wow. I've never done that. Isn't that crazy? That's nuts. So, that might be something you do. Don't, don't tell your bosses, though. Uh, but you uh, you talk about Gravitas. You still clearly got, um, you're, you got uh, the pulse of the National Hockey League. Maybe I haven't ever really even asked you this. Is Were you a hockey player growing up? Did you love hockey growing up? Uh, how did you become this this guy who was this insider? Huh. Well, yeah, I did play hockey, and I loved it from like an irrationally young age. Um, my dad immigrated to Canada from Scotland, and so he didn't play as a kid because he, he came when he was 19 or 20. Uh, he got into the sport. He was a big soccer player when he was a kid, and so he understood the importance of sport in terms of you know getting to know people. And so he, he kind of passed that on to me, but we were a family with no history of playing. So I, I played minor hockey. But I was watching games like crazy since I was a kid. And I, when I was really young, I just had a sort of a strange memory for this player scored this many goals. I mean, something that isn't actually practically, nobody needs to know that stuff mm -hmm. anymore. We all have our cell phones if you need to look up stats. But I was just always interested. In, and I started saying at a young age I was going to be a hockey journalist. So I don't know why all those things, you know, you look back at this age. Was there a writer or somebody, or somebody, a journalist that you looked up to at that age too, that you said, hey, I want to be him? I was a big her? Toronto Star guy. And oh. so, you know, we had that 
my mom was a big reader of the newspaper. She yeah. didn't, she read every section but the sports section. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that was always left over for me with my morning, uh, you know, cereal or whatever. And so, you know, Damian Cox, Ken Campbell used to write for them, Paul Hunter. You know, basically a lot of the, the writers that were covering the Leafs in, in the early 90s when I was growing up were the, the guys I was reading. And I just always wanted to do it. And so, I don't know why that ever popped into my mind. You know, why didn't I say so badly I want to try to play in the NHL? As much as I did play hockey growing up, I never, I guess maybe I was too realistic. <laughs> you know, because you're talking about a six, seven, eight-year-old kid. I mean, why why didn't I dream a little bigger? But, uh, you know, that, that set me down this path, and, and I've been really lucky, of course, to get some breaks and be able to actually make it my career. Or, or a seven, eight-year-old. Maybe someday I'll come up with this thing called Amazon. <laughs> exactly or, or, or an iphone uh but isn't it funny how uh, and i you know I, I was like you i i don't think i wanted to become a, a broadcaster i did want to play uh, and it kind of fell into it but i did study all those numbers and it was different i'm sure you were this before the electronic age when you were a kid and you read all the papers and the hockey news and you poured over all the facts and you poured over the rosters i for me it was always the numbers right you know and i could i could to this day tell you from baseball to hockey teams every number of every player i don't know where my lot chris i don't know where my laundry is this week but i remember that and yet because of this it's it's i don't think the memory works as sharply as it once did no and honestly i could you could ask me about a movie i watched last week i forget the plot yeah i don't know why you can remember every number of every player that you saw and the lines that they formed isn't that crazy it's it's bizarre And, and and literally it was not by design right i mean there's just was something to do with my interest you know back in those days there used to be sticker books believe it or not i was like you know getting nhl sticker books and and seeing that i got big into trading cards as a kid so power play i you you're i think you're too young for that but i so power play was that that was that so you get uh your cards or your stickers for going to fill up gas exactly yeah i remember those and and honestly I was just obsessive about it. That's yeah. all it was, really. I mean, you're a kid, so you got you got lots of free time. I mean, where do you put your time? I should have been probably in the driveway more shooting pucks because maybe I would have might have played more hockey at a higher level. But you know, it it became a passion, and honestly, I've been doing it since I was 18 years old. So wow. I, you know, I was really lucky. I think when you know where you want to get to, it's mm-hmm. easier to get there. I mean, you still need breaks and all that thing. We yeah. could go over all the times. Maybe if this person didn't hire me, maybe I, I end up pumping gas somewhere who knows but you know that's there's got to be luck but also i think knowing where i wanted to get to made it a little and, easier and you have to have a real affection in our business for craft dinner at a very young age <laughs> I, I was 18 too i got in the business at at that age and it, it, you know you mentioned those, those those stickers and that and and you know the worship that you had from for me it was also broadcasters but hockey players and and athletes was there an uh, a player or an athlete that the first one, your first ever autograph that you, you you can remember or, you know, somebody that you really cheered for and you got a, finally a chance to meet that person? Well, I liked, really liked the Blue Jays of that era oh. um, because, of course, they were great as I was a kid and they, they yeah. were flirting with it and they finally won when I was still at the right age to remember it. Yeah. I remember John Olerud came to my hometown, which is Coburg, Ontario, a small little place. Yeah. We lined up for three hours to get his autograph. It was at one of the, the card shops at the time. So that was pretty cool. Like, that was a distinct memory because... You know, at pre-internet age, like, the players felt really far away, mm-hmm. right? They didn't have a Twitter or an Instagram nope. account. You know, today I think fans can interact directly with an athlete or feel like it's more direct than then. Like They couldn't give you a selfie. Right. You know, it was an autograph. Right. But I, I actually got to see this guy that yeah. had been on my team. It just wow. felt far away. And so He's that, a big dude, too. Remember? He was, Charles yeah. Was a big guy. And he wasn't wearing the, the batting helmet yeah. he used to have to wear in the field. But that, that was a big memory. But in terms of hockey influences, you know, Doug Gilmore was... I was a massive Doug Gilmore fan. That like, was during the time too. Oh, 92, and, and 93. That was, people forget how great the Leafs were. 
Well, and they had been so bad at essentially my whole yeah, life. Yeah. And they make that trade. And as a kid, it was like a sugar rush. Like he just, there's something about him I found very captivating. I'll tell you this, Rod, and, and you would have had this experience getting to know athletes, you know, when, as you get older. I once saw Doug Gilmore when I was early in the business. Like I walked around the corner in the press box and he was there. And literally, even as an adult, my heart hit my throat just because there was something inside yeah. me remembering that from youth. But like, you know, to get to know Sidney Crosby or Austin Matthews, like the today's stars, it doesn't have the same effect because I'm an adult and I don't view it the same way. Mm -hmm. But even just seeing him as an adult, like still kind of like shook something in me. And so I think that's, if you're a sports fan, I think, you know, when you're age 12 or 13, you, you really hold on to a lot of those memories. And, and even as a 40 year old now, I still, like I still resonate particularly with like that time in Toronto sports in the early nineties, whether it was the Leafs, the Jays, I even watched a lot of Argos back in those days. And of course they won the great cup in 91. Like I just remember those teams so well. And that, that really set me on this path, I think in some ways too. Yeah, you, and you value, I think too. And it, the, the word heroes used wrongly because you know, they're, they're sports, right? They're, they're, they're champions, they're icons, they're stars. Uh, but if you, if you think back to that era and I was like, again, working in that era, it was different. Do you find, because they became your friend in many ways, they became your friends and it was hard to, hard to report on your friends, right? You know, for whatever reason you were very close. It was a close inner circle. The circle, uh, is wider now, certainly, but close within the, you have to get into that little cocoon for a player to, to be closer to that player. It'd be very difficult. I'd imagine because do you find they're more guarded because of social media? with the reportage that you have to do? So some of this might the be- The trust, I guess. Right, some of this might be age-based. I actually finding it today a little bit easier, oddly. Uh, I don't know if that's because when I, cause I was quite young when I first went mm -hmm. into NHL dressing rooms and that was at a time when teams were older. So like when I first went into the Leafs dressing room, that's sort of the Ty Domi, Darcy Tucker. Yeah, Those yeah. guys were actually 10 or 12 years older than me. And so I didn't. Who's this kid? Maybe it Who's was a this little kid. He needs to grow a beard. And certainly it was intimidating. Those guys weren't afraid. It was a different atmosphere media wise. Those guys weren't afraid to go back and forth with reporters a little bit. And, not, you know, I was brand new. I didn't have. So, like, it was harder at that time. Obviously, I've gotten to know some of those guys post career a little bit better. But in the moment, it was harder for me maybe to identify with them. I find now a lot of athletes, because they're used to sharing their life on Instagram, um, yeah, they're more I, open books for sure. I just find that there's, yeah. they're, they're, they're more likely to share their story with you. I'm not saying I'm best friends with them. You know, I don't yeah. hang out with these guys. Yeah. It's nothing like that. But I find professionally, oddly, the, the biggest challenge, of course, the last two years is the pandemic. You, you can't stand face to face with them. I mean, finally, this is going to be the first normal season, Rod, since what, 2019, 20, uh, where we, you know, reporters are allowed back in the dressing room. It, it's just going to be more what I would call a normal course of business. Um, but I actually find today's athletes pretty open to sharing their, their stories, their lives, talking about their parents, all that stuff, because they've grown up where basically everything is out there on the internet already. Yeah. And, and they're, they're also all brands. Right. And, 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 and here's the other thing. They can also help navigate their story a little bit. Um, and, and I think back to that era is that what was put in print stayed in print. Now it stays up in the internet. So maybe that's, that is in a roundabout way better for them these days that they know they can also control their brand not their story necessarily but their brand a little more for sure i mean it's it's evolved and it's evolving at a level i'm you know i'm trying to keep up with yeah. i want to have a yeah I, we're talking about like where my career started i want to have a future career here yeah, too yeah. and you know you see things like the players tribune come along you know certainly an athlete that's very active on instagram or twitter can really 
say what they, they can control their story. They're right? all broadcasters and writers. Right. I mean, a lot of them aren't doing it in hockey. Like, yeah. there's not strong personalities. But I look at like Marcus Stroman, for yeah. example. I mean, LeBron James. Right. They yeah. they tell you what they want you yeah. to hear. I mean, you don't have to just trust a certain trusted reporter or whatever. I mean, it. it but it's it's hard too. Like some of these guys, look. First of all, they have a demanding job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't th- I'm not sure a lot of them want to do it themselves, but if you wanted to, you could, I think athletes could cut us right out of the middle, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting. Okay, so the, uh, we could talk all day about all, all things, <laughs> but uh, tell, tell us about the, your role here now uh, with North Star. You have a lot of different roles, but and, and what we can expect to see from Chris Johnston over the next few months, few years, few decades, over the next century. <laughs> but what, you know, what can we expect to see? I mean, you're clearly providing a lot of content here. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm covering the NHL. And so I'm going to tell you about the, the stories you need to know about. You know, a big piece of that, Rod, is going to be a, a launching of a newsletter this season, uh, which, you know, you can subscribe to in your email. It'll arrive Monday morning in your inbox where, you know, I'm, I'm taking questions from readers, what they're interested in. You know, I'm going to tell you about the big stories of the day, you know, some takes, some exclusive interviews, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, that's a big piece of the coverage. But, you know, it's also weighing in on, you know, a big trade, a uh, firing, a hiring, that type of thing as well. And, and you know, a pretty strong focus being here in Toronto on, on what's happening with the Leafs. Because, as you know, wh- oh. whatever's happening, oh. it's a story, even if sometimes if not a whole lot's going on. Honestly, sometimes you think that, you know, there was some sort of seismic uh, event that... The rest of the hockey world fell off the cliff and it all exists in Toronto. And that's a challenge. Um, we've come through, we're still in it, but we're coming through COVID um, in many ways. Very different seasons the last three seasons, including the last one. Uh, and a, another short season before the regular season. Uh, what what did you make of this off season? I want to get to last season in Colorado and everything, but what did you what did you make of this off season? There seemed to be a lot of movement and a lot of a lot of shockwaves actually. For the NHL, for sure. I mean, like, we're not used to seeing this much upheaval of a team. I mean, the Calgary Flames, I'm sure you might have a question specific to what they did, but just seeing star players leave and, and come in, yeah. be replaced so quickly, really in a matter of, you know, two to three weeks, and then the Kadri signing a little bit later for Brad Tree Living. But we saw more of a shift of power, and I actually think we can connect it on some level back to the pandemic, right? You know, what the pandemic did, the NHL is a hard salary cap. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like that, but it's it's a fact. And because of the pandemic, the league didn't make the money it would have normally made if if the seasons had gone as mm-hmm. normal. And so a lot of teams are feeling the squeeze for that. And and I think so. The tr- one of the trickle down effects is is you've seen teams have to be creative or make more bold moves than you would have in the past. And that's going to continue, in my view. I mean, it's probably two years before we're back to normal in terms of the business of the league. Um, and, and that means a big salary cap jump. And so there's a lot of pressure on these GMs managing their rosters. And, you know, I think that that may, it was a, there's a lot of fireworks. Yeah. Let's face it. I mean, the, the NHL is not, I think the cap in some ways has been bad for fireworks because it's harder to make trades. I mean, there's so many other considerations. You gotta be a mathematician. You gotta be, you gotta know all the algorithms, you saver metrics, yada, yada, but you gotta, you gotta be able to fit everything into this cap room. Well, and most teams have. Mm-hmm. a mathematician yeah. on board. I mean, they might not be a true mathematician, but someone whose job every day is to to manage their cap situation, to be aware of those numbers, to say, yeah, we could trade for the player X on this team, uh, but we have to do, like, there's all these machinations connected to it. Uh, it's become far more complex. You know, what it's done is it's guaranteed the owners get half of the money, mm-hmm. but it, it's really made 
the, the business of hockey far more complex than it was, you know, prior to the 0405 lockout. And then when you all of a sudden put the brakes on the cap, of course, there's downstream effects to that. And I think that leads to this kind of summer. I think next summer, there's no reason to think we won't see more of those kind of fireworks. And, and hard, maybe I'll ask you, is like, is it, is it harder to create a dynasty? Like the, and I, I don't want to say old days, old days might be even 10, 10 years ago when you could just go out and buy players, which you can't do now. It's almost impossible. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if we'll, we'll consider them a dynasty team. But, but we're talking a, 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 even a back-to-back champion is, is a, oh, a dynasty now. Well, and a dynasties used to be like four or five in a row. Sure, but you look at Tampa. I mean, they, they were in a cup final in 2015. Mm-hmm. They lost in game seven of the Eastern Conference final a couple times, 16 and 19, I believe. They won in 20 and 21, and they were in the final in 2022. Like, that that might be a modern-day hockey dynasty. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if we'll use the D word, mm-hmm. but, like, that that's the that's a different the high definition, bar. right? Well, and yeah. how have they done it, right? Yeah. They live in Florida, where there happens to be no state income tax. They got their top players to take probably below market value. That slotted everyone in behind them. They, they're managed really smart. I'm not, I'm not saying that this was all cooked up for them, but... You know, Julian Brisebois and Steve Eisman before him did a great job managing that roster, but they had some advantages there. And those players have, you know, Victor Hedman, is, he was great in 2015. He's still great in 2023. So that's been a key to their success. And then they've, they've cycled behind them. But, you know, I look at their summer this year, they've, they've, they've lost Andre Pilat, for example, who's such a key part of that whole thing. You know, one of those guys that will never be the headline grabber, but they get weaker because he's got to go. Just, again, the cap kind of dictates it. So... I don't see how any team is going to have that run. Even Colorado, like you love their team. We all still see Kale McCarr, right? 21, 22 years old. He's I love probably... Blink 182 too. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. I think that's the greatest well, thing. Of course, but, but they're yeah. going, like Kale McCarr is going to the Hall of Fame. I'm willing to say that today. Yeah. He's 22. Yeah. Look, look at the season he just had. The Norris, the Conn Smythe, he wins a cup. If you look at his points per game. Two of the top five players in the game. Right. And he's challenging about. some of Bobby Orr's numbers in terms of like to this point in his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody... Nobody wants to be compared to Bobby Orr, right? It's yeah. it's almost preposterous with the career Bobby had. So anyway, they have that piece in place. They have Nathan McKinnon, but they're already they lost Kadri. They're going to lose more guys because of the cap, and so it's it's just so hard. It, it is. I'm actually sympathetic to the teams, honestly. I mean, in in certain way, I think it it can be fun because you can be in Montreal right now and say like, hey. Like right now, okay, so the, the Canadians, I don't expect to make much noise this year, but they may be not that far off from getting there. But if you don't strike in those couple years, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're on the other side before you've won anything. And they make news with Nick Suzuki as their new captain. Right. Bold choice, right? I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about a, a kid in a, in a real NHL marketplace. I mean, it's, it's impossible to overstate how different it is, I think, to play in Toronto and Montreal. Maybe we put Vancouver there. They have a pretty, mm-hmm. pretty lively discussion around their team and a lot of scrutiny. You know, a couple of the U.S. markets, but really there's five or six, seven at most markets where the team is the going concern in that city. And, of course, in Montreal, it's in two official languages. It's not Nick Suzuki's fault, in a sense. He speaks mm-hmm. one of them. He grew up in Ontario. And that's already become a topic of it's conversation. Like for the Yan- it's like playing for the Yankees. Right. Like playing for Manchester United. Well, whoever it might be, you're playing for the team. Right. And, and look, he's signed long-term, so I get it. And, and look, they're ushering in a new age. Um, I can see the choice, but look, Brendan Gallagher was sitting right there. Yeah. And for a lot of years, everyone thought he would be the next guy after Shea Weber. Um, you know, I think it would be an easier fit given his age, but you know, his performance hasn't been great the last two seasons. And so they, they've gone to the future, but it's a lot to put on his shoulders. Um, it's not a prediction that he can't handle it or anything like that. But, you know, I, I think it's an interesting choice. And I like the direction of their organization, mm-hmm. quite frankly. I think 
once you realize look what they did two years ago right now again carry the carry price thing is still that question mark hovering over that franchise exactly and it sounds unfortunately carry's not going to play no. again right and shea weber never played another game after they lost the cup in in 2021 uh to tampa i mean that was his last game in, in the league and, and essentially you know carry's played a little bit but that was the end for those two guys unfortunately um and but i think they've realistically approached their problems you know it took a, a management change it's hard you know, Mark Bergevin built that team. Probably hard for him to contemplate blowing it up. It's easier for someone new to come in, and, and Jeff Gordon and, and Kent Hughes, and, and you know attack that problem. But I, I like where they're set up to go. But again, all of a sudden, at some point, everyone's going to start getting paid. Yeah. You know, Yuri Slavkovsky's just starting his career, first overall pick last year. Won't be long before he's making real money and all that kind of thing. Somebody so. getting paid, and that's kind of like the world of sport now. It's such a, I mean, this is. This is not just hockey, you know, no. no other sport is immune to it either. But, and I want to get to Toronto in a minute, but I, back to Calgary. When, you know, you heard about Johnny Hockey making that move, then Matthew Kachuk right after him. And then you're thinking, oh, and I'm sure the people in Calgary are going, oh, this is going down in flames, pardon the pun. But now, Brad Treliving, what he was able to do. I don't know if preconceived or how it, or it fell in his lap. What did you make of that whole situation from going from like, look, rock bottom, maybe a rebuild to being a major contender still? He might be better off. Like that's the irony here, right? Yeah. And, and it's not a knock on, on Kachuk or Goodrow, but they, they'd been there for you know a number of years along with Sean Monaghan. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, they had a couple great regular seasons. They won the Western conference a few years ago and lost in round one to the avalanche. Um, you know, maybe this is a more playoff design team. I mean, we've seen Nazem Kadri's success. Like clearly what he brings isn't just offense, even though he just had his best offensive season, but you know, a style of play, I think that, that works in the playoffs, you know, they might've ended up ahead and it looked like a freaking disaster three days into free agency. And that, that's amazing. And, and remember they were left at the altar by Johnny Goodrow. Like mm -hmm. they, they negotiated with them until 24 hours before free agency opened. They offered him much more money than he ended up signing for in Columbus. It ended up being a, a personal family lifestyle decision for Goodrow, but they, to, to lose Which is that, fine, but to leave it to the last minute. Sure. I, I mean, it's his, it's his prerogative. He's mm -hmm. earned that right. Right. I mean, but I will say, if you're just looking at it from the Flames perspective, front office, you get that and then you go to Kachuk because he's he's priority number two and he doesn't want to stick around. He doesn't want to sign a long-term deal. I mean, to pull out what they did is amazing. Yeah, Hoover don't sign long-term right away. Like to, to not only that, to leave Florida, come back home <laughs> to Canada and then say, yeah, sign me long-term. Right. I mean, and that, it, that, that takes stones too. It does. And Mackenzie Weger, part of that deal, they're negotiating now to extend him. I mean, that could have been its own sort of set of disasters. Yeah. It's almost like pushing your problems down a year, right? Because if Huberto and Uyghur come in and don't want to sign contracts, they want to play out that season. Well, what is the con what's the conversation in Calgary today? It's all about, will they stay? Will they trade them at the deadline? What do you, how do you handle this? I mean, really, they, they managed to calm the situation. And then they signed Nazem Kadri, which probably doesn't happen, I'm guessing, without all that falling into place. Mm -hmm. Because Kadri had a few different offers on the table, and he wants to win still. He doesn't want to be one cup and done. He wants to go somewhere where he believes he's got a chance to, first of all, make his money, you know, as he should do as a free agent coming off a great season, but also be in a position to win. And so it's a master stroke. I think some things had to fall in place there, but, you know, give Tree Living credit. He's, to me, he's always been an aggressive GM. Um, you know, a bit of a cowboy. Maybe it fits the... His, da his dad's on Dragon's Den. Right. Like I say. <laughs> it, it, fits, it fits the profile of the team in the city. Uh, and... 
I'm not, I will not be surprised, Rod, if we're doing this, you know, come next year's playoffs and we're saying this is a top three team to win the cup. Like I, I, I could see it working that well because I like Jacob Markstrom, their goaltending goaltender. I, I think their defense is top notch as it is. Yeah. You know, and I don't think they've lost all that much, maybe a little bit of offense, but I'm not sure a Daryl Sutter coach team is lacking offensively. Mm-hmm. Right. If you look at their second round loss to Edmonton this year, it was all the goals going in. Markstrom, you know, was not at his best at the wrong time. It was kind of a strange series with, you know, nine, six game or something like that. Anyway, yeah. the, the point is, is that I, I think that this team is set up now for probably more success than it was coming in. And, and it goes to show you how stories are fleeting, fame is fleeting in the league and how, how uh, narratives can change. Right. You go back a few years, Nazem Kadri's narrative. I mean, I, you know, and I really like Nas as a person and what he's done. Think about the monies that he's now donating uh, to, to, to science uh, to see what happened to him and to be able to take what he did and to have the, the cup confidence that he has now. I mean, he's going to go to a team and he's, he's arguably one of their best leaders now. For sure. And, you know, I'm not one to necessarily second guess because it's so easy. No, First it, of I all, say it changes all the time. Right? On our side of the microphone, it's, it's so easy. easy to look at this situation and that. But, you know, I look back on the decision to trade Kadri, and to me, it's the biggest misstep the Leafs have made. Because if you got the right deal, I think it makes sense. You know, my view is that they went into that offseason and, and he was done there. And so they were, you know, trying to get any deal. I mean, they almost traded him to Calgary, right? He had a no trade clause at the and time. And they still don't have a guy like him. And exactly. And, and you know, he was a value contract mm-hmm. for all those seasons. $4.25 million compared to what he gave, you know, the Avalanche, what he would have still given in Toronto. You know, that, that, it just, they didn't find the right deal for him. And I think that that is a huge misstep that this front office has made. I think they've made lots of great decisions too. Um, but, you know, that one haunts them. And, and you know, because Kadri, he, he lives for a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Maybe that helped him. Honestly, maybe that propelled him in a way. Sometimes it, you've seen it in other athletes, in every right. sport. It does it. Right. I mean, maybe he doesn't reach that height. I mean, yeah. he, had a, he was on pace. He would have had a 100-point season last year if he was healthy all year. Uh, at his age, to, to, to break through in that way is, is not happening much in today's NHL. I mean, most players have their best offensive season by about their 25th birthday mm-hmm. nowadays. Uh, and and he's, he's pushing back father time. And so, you know, I'm with you. I, I like Kadri the person. I, I've got a lot of time for his mm-hmm. family. Um, I know how much he loved being a member of the lease, but maybe, maybe this helped push him too. Maybe that was a wake up call. He's got a great, great, great book coming out. Maybe, maybe you're going to write it someday, but it's very, the title might be that, that line that he had in that interview at the Stanley Cup final, right. you know, and, but so it, let's just go over the Canadian landscape quickly. And I could again, chat with you for, for months here. Uh, Calgary may be better. The team that everybody's talked about over the last few years the Edmonton Otters, who still have not got to that threshold where everybody, including me, <laughs> predicts that this team is Stanley Cup final worthy. Are they? Absolutely. I mean, you got to think they're better now, what they've done. They got to the Western Conference final last year. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the NHL's playoff system is kind of interesting, right? Yeah. And I know that you've you've made this point yourself and yeah, seen on Twitter and the I like, but, it. you know, they they were fortunate in a sense to get LA in the first round and LA you know LA was up three two so there's there's a chance we're talking a totally different conversation if if the Oilers don't come back and win that series and they beat Calgary you know they're overmatched against the Avalanche but you know I think that they are growing and you saw Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on a different level in those playoffs I, I think it's fair to call them a cup contender like a legit cup contender from... we got the best player in the game right and. We saw that he can even have another level from what's already been an insane level. Which is crazy. Exactly. 
And 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 I'm I wouldn't cap him just yet. Yeah. Is my point is we might see something more the next time. And the cast is getting better around him. Like the Evander sure. Kane move, bold, seems brilliant. It does, and I think that of course they're going to be active. You know, before the trade deadline, mm-hmm. like like the team that's starting this, you know, next season isn't the the final product yet. Mm-hmm. And so they're all in there as they should be. Better goaltending. Better goaltending, you would think. I mean, we'll see. Jack we'll Campbell. See. Never know. Goaltending is is wild. I think. Yeah. So many GMs that are going to bed having sleepless nights over their goaltending now. I mean, the, the, if unless you're in Tampa where you got Vasilevsky or you know Chris Jury, the Rangers GM with, with Shesterkin, almost everybody else has some degree of uncertainty yeah. or maybe they're one injury away from like not having much of a backup plan. Um, you know, I think Jack Campbell should be an improvement for the Oilers, but look, he had he had a roller coaster last season in Toronto. His highs were incredibly high. I don't pin the Tampa you know, playoff loss on him. I think he got back to a level that was good enough for them to win that series. Um, but he's not a sure thing. And, you know, but I don't think there's a lot of sure things. That's, that's sort of my point here is I, I don't, I don't, I'm not knocking the Oilers down, but I'm just saying, let's see how that goes before yeah. we, we put the, the, the crown on. We don't have a Canadian division <laughs> like we had a couple of years ago, but I, I kind of, you see where I'm going with my theme about Canadian. I like teams. that. And I, I don't want to, um, lump these three teams, but because for, for safety of time, just to want to talk about them a little bit. And, and I do find them just a, a level, just a little bit below. You never know. Vancouver, Winnipeg, Ottawa, and what they've done to make themselves better for the new season. What have you seen? Vancouver, I think that they, they should have higher expectations, right? I mean, last year was, was a surprise. It ended up, you know, costing some people their jobs. Now they're taking a new approach. But they didn't need to reinvent the wheel. I mean, the same team with the core of it, you know, the Pedersen, Hughes, Satcher, Demko. I mean, they had success in the NHL bubble, uh, you know, won a playoff round. You know, I, I think that they're on on the rise, but they, they still have some some cap challenges left over from the previous administration. Uh, it's it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs, but I, I won't say impossible. I think Winnipeg, it, you know, the, the, the complaint, if you talk to a Jets fan, will be that they didn't do enough in the offseason. I, I would say last, to me, last year was a bit of an aberration. I think that, that there could have been danger in overreacting. Um, you know, losing Paul Maurice midseason, stepping, you know, he stepped aside, um, was pretty open about just sort of losing some of the zest for the job. He'd been there a he, long time he, too, right? He, he didn't. He didn't. Look, didn't last long in the unemployment line. Well, a lot of people called him. Yeah, yeah. I do know that. I mean, yeah, he yeah. had even options last season that he. He, he moved past, but he'd been there a long time, yeah. right? I think he got to a point where he didn't have any buttons left to push yeah. with that group. You know, I think he might have done them a favor in some, you know, sense of that word. It just, it, I think that they, they just, to me, are, they haven't gotten enough out of that core. You know, when they went to the Western Conference Final against Vegas, you know, what, six years ago, five years ago, everyone thought, okay, and every year they're going to be there. And they haven't really got back to that level. I'm, I'm curious to see what Rick Bonus can do with them. And so I, I don't mind the approach there. I'm not just blowing everything up, trading guys to, to trade them. I know it's hard to do in a Canadian city because you take a lot of darts. Um, you know, certainly I don't have them, right, I don't have them in that level of cup contender, but I, I do think it should be a much better year there. And Ottawa, I mean, Pierre Dorian said one of the... If not, Bradtree Living maybe trumped them in the end, but yeah. Pierre Dorian's had a, a pretty strong summer for the Senators. You know, we've all been wondering what would happen. They make noise. Like, this is a team that can make noise. But they... They're, they, they're, they're, they I think pe- teams... Uh, sorry to interrupt no. you, but I think teams come in and they go, okay, we're playing the Senators. And then the next thing you go, oh, we're going on the bus, we're sitting on the bus, we just lost. Right. Well, look, they haven't made any noise as an organization for a couple of years, yeah. right? They, they've... 
didn't spend much money. Obviously, they've drafted a lot of promising young kids, but you know they haven't insulated them correctly. At least now, you see them out there getting Claude Giroux, you know, making the goaltending trades they made. Um, you know, even signing just a veteran free agent, Tyler Mott. I just they, they, they seem like their their intention now to compete is a little bit more direct. And you know, not to make any light of it, but Eugene Melnick died, you know, earlier this year. I think a lot of people wondered what would happen to this team after him. Organization in flux. Well, and at least from a hockey standpoint, yeah. I don't have the full answer of where they're going as an organization, mm-hmm. but they've, they've shown new intent to, mm-hmm. to c- compete. I think that, unfortunately for them, they're in a tough division, right? Mm-hmm. Let's call it as it is. They have to somehow over, overcome one of Florida, Tampa, Boston, Toronto. You know, even Buffalo had a, a strong second half of last year. You know, Detroit, they've got some nice young players, including the reigning rookie of the year. Like, it's, it's going to be a tough climb for them in that division, in that landscape, as long as this is the playoff format. But I, I think that they're going to be a team that's that's worth watching this season. And that's saying something from where they've been these last few years. Last but not least, the team over your shoulder, uh, the Maple Leafs, who come in the betting lines as the second best favorite behind the Colorado Avalanche. I don't know how much you play into betting lines early in a hockey season because there clearly are a number of teams that, that could hoist the cup. But <laughs> is, this, is this the year the Toronto Maple Leafs will finally win a round in the National Hockey League? Man, it's, it's, you got to tell me who are they playing? And, it's almost and... unfathomable to think. Like you think about it, to go that long without winning a playoff round, it's 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 crazy. Pat Quinn was a coach the last time they won. That is a playoff round. Rest his soul. Isn't I know, that great something? man, Pat. He great was man. Always oh. great to deal with when I was a young reporter. But yeah, yeah it's it is crazy, and it's crazy that we're now into year seven of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner as sort of the cornerstones of the team. William Nylander, you know, riding shotgun with them. And they haven't come over the hump. Because if you look at the regular seasons, there's been clear improvement, right? They, they won a division in the Canadian division. They got 115 points last season. I mean, that's, that's, that's not an insignificant barrier to clear. It's, it, they were a dominant team. They outscored Tampa in round one, 24-23, and lost in seven games. I mean, I, I realize, I recognize why everyone says you've got to win a round. I'm, I'm not disputing that by any stretch. But they've done everything but win the round. Um, this has to be the year. I know we've probably built previous seasons that way, but if you look, if you go to, you know, Puckpedia and call up their, their site, I mean, they have almost no player signed beyond this coming season. You know, I think it's fair to say Kyle Dubas's job is in some degree of question if this doesn't, the program doesn't take a, a tangible step forward. You know, Austin Matthews needs an extension that he can sign as of July 1st of 2023. Great article on the website, by the way, on, Thank on you. Austin Matthews. Fabulous. I mean, it's going to be a talking point though, right? Mm-hmm. And let's face it, where Austin Matthews is in his career, you know, he's, he can become an unrestricted free agent in 2024. He's deciding, does he want to stay? And, and my belief, I should be clear on this now, I think he will stay in Toronto. I think he will sign another deal here. But, you know, that's contingent on him believing they have a team that can win. And so I, I think this really is uh, all the marbles type of season. Unfortunately, nothing matters till game 83. I mean, they have to get to game 83. They have to make the playoffs. Um, I think yeah, it's, it's one thing to be built for the regular season. And I think they were built for the playoffs even last year. But, again, we can go back about the playoff format. They would have met Boston, who, they, by the way, they had a struggle with Boston in the right. playoffs. But, yeah, they seem so close. What, what's, what's missing? In your mind, what is missing? Well, this is what concerns me, quite honestly. If you look back at the individual elimination games, like the Game 7s or the Game 5 against Columbus, the do-or-die games, they, they have not scored any goals. They lose 2-1 to one to Tampa, right? I believe it was 3-1 with an empty net goal against Montreal. 
it's this is a team built to overwhelm you offensively and when they've gotten to those moments where really it's it's do you do it or not they haven't found a way to break through and i don't put that necessarily squarely on matthews's shoulders or marner's shoulders i mean i realize everyone's looking around for someone to blame but i just wonder if they have the right mentality to win those games if maybe it's a personnel based thing i mean I, look at we're going to see a different bottom six of the leafs this year i think you're going to see a a fourth line that can can you know, be physical that you're not going to ever really count on to score. But my view is they're going to maybe play with a little bit more edge down there and, and not just older players. You know, I think it's a lot to ask of Wayne Simmons, for example, at this point mm-hmm. in his career. But, you know, they bring in guys like Zach Aston Reese and Nick Obey Kubel, you know, not necessarily household names, but, but, you know, if you look at sort of the way those guys play, their four checkers are going to be hard to go against. I, I think that they, they need to find maybe a bit of a formula. And look, they also need, they need something great to happen, right? They've missed that moment. Yeah. They, they need one of those players, whether it's their stars that make the money, to have just a crazy series to pull them through. Or, you know, maybe it's Matt Murray or Ilya Samsonov. I and mean, we haven't got to the goaltending. Clearly, to me, the biggest question mark for this team is, does that work? I mean, it's, it's a gamble for management. Uh, but if whichever of those guys is, is starting in those games, maybe they need one of them to stand on their head and steal a game. I feel like that, that's what they've been missing. I mean, they, they've won... They get to the. They, they almost win each series. They can't win that final game. That they, they need a singular performance, it's like a clutch gene or a karma or something. That and it goes to show you how hard it is too. Um, I don't believe in curses and all that, and but I do believe that if you constantly hear something every day, or there is this narrative in your head that you know you're, you're constantly t- talking about this streak or, or slump. I do think that permeates. I For think sure. eventually it permeates. Even a young player, old player, now you hold your stick a little tighter. You know, maybe you don't get those breaks. I don't care if they have 120 points this year, win the division. I don't even yeah. care who they're playing. When it starts game one of the playoffs yeah. next year, the best players on this team will all be wondering, can we do this? A little bit. It'll be in there somewhere. And obviously these are supremely confident, talented athletes. Mm-hmm. I mean, every year, that's, that's the other thing, right? Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews have become exactly what they were supposed to be. Every, you know, Mitch Varner is a, a first-team all-star in the NHL. Matthews won a Hart Trophy, two Rocket Trophies, a, a Ted Lindsay Award. I mean, these are, these are the kind of individual stars the Leafs have not had since the 60s, essentially. Yeah. And so my point is, individually, those guys have held up their end of the bargain. They've become what they were forecasted to be. But as a team, they haven't found a way to get it done. And it's going to be must-view must watching when they get in the first round next year. Again, I don't care the opponent. I don't yeah. care how great the season yeah. goes. They have to find a way to win four out of seven. Well, yeah, your insight is fabulous. I, I, I could t- chat about every team, but it's good to go over the Canadian teams. When we bring you back, we'll have to talk some more. But I do want to get a couple of uh, big picture things um, as well from you. Uh, is there a surprise team that you see this year uh, in the mm. National Hockey League? Maybe an X-Factor team? Uh, that team that, you know, I, I would say arguably in the last couple of years, Florida Panthers were kind of that, that team that went, whoa, hey. Is there, is there a team that could catch you like that? I think the two that jump to mind when you ask is, is L.A. and Buffalo. And, you know, L.A. might not qualify because they yeah. did end up making the playoffs last year, so maybe we wouldn't call them quite as out of left field. But I think that they've just slowly been building. They've got a tremendous farm system. They don't, they're not counting on, like, one kid to become a star and then it's going to be great. Like, I think that they've slowly under the radar become more of a, more of a factor, and I could see them popping uh, this season. I like that they went out and got Kevin Fiala. Uh, to, to help offensively because, you know, they didn't quite score enough last year. I could see them taking some people by surprise. And, and to me, Buffalo, 
they, you know, they, they've got similar goaltending questions to the Leafs um, in a lot of ways. They've, you know, Craig Anderson and Eric Comrie is their two goaltenders. So it's far from a sure thing about how that will hold up. But I think as a team, they're trending in the right direction. And last year, quite honestly, Rod, in the second half, to me, they were like a story no one was talking about. It was, man, how hard those guys played. And I think Don Granato is a great coach for them. So I, I think... Bob, Owen Power is going to be something else. Too. Exactly. And right. And Rasmus Dahlin finally became sort of what mm. he was projected to be last year. They've just, they've, they've, they've got, they finally, I think, are on the track to getting it right in Buffalo. Same problem as Ottawa, tough division and all those sorts of things. But I think that those are the two teams most likely to, you know, make, basically make the playoffs and, and maybe make some noise and go, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I don't want to make this a viral thing and I'm not going to ask you a you know, provocative question, but who will, who, will yes, be you the, do. who will be the first coach to be fired? Who's, who's on the hot seat right now? I mean, Ooh. who's going to struggle? Well, I think 13 coaches were replaced last year. Yeah. So, and, and, and a who's bunch left? in a hurry. Yeah. Who's left? I mean, hmm. hard to say. Like, I, you know, maybe you're looking for Sheldon Keep or something. I don't, I don't see that if you look at his record in Toronto. I think I mean, if they struggled early on, for sure, that, that, that conversation might come up. If there was a, but you just, like you said, I mean, it just doesn't look like a team that's going to struggle. Well, if, if they fall back, they go from 115 points yeah. to 102, they're still making a, playoffs yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah, yeah. um i know it's a tough one to answer because... i just hadn't thought about it in this way before i mean you know maybe seattle i know that sounds crazy yeah. dave haxtell's only had one year there it's an expansion team but you know that was really tough first year for them i could see there being some pressure there i mean look there's a lot of coaches on the sidelines like at some point i have to believe someone's going to call joel quenville yeah and say hey joel do you want to do this again uh, i don't know the answer to that question but he's did a lot of, he's done a lot of winning behind the bench um, you know, Florida's just come back with a new coach. Tampa's fine. I'm just going through the teams that, that obviously have some, some expectations on them. You know, Mike Sullivan got a big extension in Pittsburgh. I don't know if there's one guy that's Our like, old buddy Torts. <laughs> yeah, but he's back, new in Philly, back, right? Back I mean, new in Philly. I don't think anyone's getting fired in their no. first year on the job. And since there's so many guys on the first year, maybe this will be a little quieter year for, for the mm. coaches, but, um, Big pressure job. I do know that. Yeah, you, you, that's good. you handled that. Well, I'm not trying policy. to not give you an no, answer. I'm actually I, I trying to find the guy. Tough, yeah, it's a tough one too because it's so early, and 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 you'll revisit that. We'll probably chat in another month, and there will be some teams that will struggle. Is it imperative or important? Do you think to get off to a good start? Yes, it's so hard to come back. I mean, yeah. Unfortunately for everyone, the St. Louis Blues went from, you know, worst in the league to, to winning the cup in 2019. So every, every team can now point and say, hey, we'll get it on track. But let, that's a great, that was a great story those Blues authored because nobody does that. And so, you know, I think the first month of the season is huge. By the time you get to U.S. Thanksgiving, I mean, these become almost cliches. But, but when you look at the numbers, only one or two teams genuine, generally that are out of the playoffs come, you know, third week in November – can climb in. And so it's, it's a competitive league. It's a very close league. And yeah, you don't, you don't want to get behind the eight ball. That's why some coaches do lose their job so early. CJ, we've held you hostage for too long, uh, but I'm going to continue for, a, a, so I do this thing on our broadcast. Um, it's called the quick 18. I know you like to golf. Uh, so I'm going to ask you 18 questions. There might be more, might be less. I don't, I don't really actually, <laughs> <laughs> I just randomly throw them out. So you can go long, short, whatever you could say, pass, uh, with apologies to our friend James Duffy and the quiz master, this is not the quiz. And every answer is, by the way, is correct. And, I love it. And you win absolutely nothing. <laughs> but uh, you'll get a North Star. We need some broadcast swag, I think. Oh, you know, we got to get that. put that logo on a yes, shirt. I, yes, and you're going to be the first one to get it. Okay, you ready? 
Let's play a quick 18. Okay. Uh, Chris Johnson, CJ, your best interview ever. Ooh. I interviewed the president of Latvia in 2006. Oh, really? It was pretty cool. Vira Vika Friberga. And? And why was that the best interview ever? I mean, first of all, hockey mad country. Yeah, I went, I was there for the World Hockey Championships rod. I was a young reporter and I just, I had literally, this is how long ago it is, I had a Lonely Planet book and it said, the president of Latvia, Vira Vika Friberga, who was raised in Canada, comma, and I was like, well, I've never heard of this. And I ended up phoning, uh, you know, her press office and they came and picked me up and like I had to surrender my passport. I went to her house and sat down and spoke with her for an hour. It was oh, one wow. of the coolest experiences of my entire life. Well, that's, that. Oh, wow, that's a good one. Worst interview ever. We all had, like, bad ones. Or, like, when I say worst, not that it was bad for you, but maybe the, the subject wasn't great. And there, 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 there are a lot of them. I had some tough interviews with Phil Castle over the years. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah. he was not the most willing subject. No. I was maybe a bit bullheaded at times with my approach to him. Mm -hmm. and, and not that we butted heads particularly, but I, I definitely, some of my worst interviews were, were usually involved. Phil Castle, both as a Leaf and then when he went to Pittsburgh, too. Mm. How long does it take for you to grow your beard? Pretty quick. If I shave this, it'd be back with two weeks. Oh, wow. Is there ever any food in your beard? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Who do you look like without a beard? Like I said, Connor, you got a Connor McGregor kind of go thing going. I've heard uh, Turtle from Entourage. I've gotten oh, that over you? the years. So, Dude, one of my favorite shows, by the way. During binge, like our binge pandemic thing, where we that's all we did, sit in front of the TV and watch sports. I had never seen Entourage because I was always working. And I right. never... What a great show that is. It, it was a great show. I'm with, I haven't watched, I'm not up to date on most of the shows, but I've seen that one. And oh, I love it. I don't see it myself. I've just heard that over the years. Turtle. Turtle. <laughs> nice. Without a beard. Best hockey city? Montreal. Uh, and I, and I yeah, by the way, my favorite arena to go to. For whatever reason, it's just, there's a, just got a vibe to it. The Bell Center is like going to the Vatican if you're Catholic. Yeah, yeah. That's like, yeah. honestly, my view, like I... I love it. There's nothing, if you could, if I can only cover like one more game the rest of my career, I'd want it to be a Montreal-Toronto game on a Saturday night. Yeah. Just the vibe of walking up to the building, eating the hot dogs at the intermission. Just, it just show. It just, it, there's sort of a tradition to it all. It's, it's beautiful. It's what, poetry. What's with their hot dogs too? They do that thing with the bun, the butter on the bun. It's crazy. You can, I've never eaten like 10 hot dogs in a sitting, but I, I probably could there. You could. It's, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, I, know it's... I know they used to have it at the Coliseum Pepsi uh, yeah, in yeah. Quebec City, which yeah. is a bit before my time, but yeah. I, I love going yeah, to Montreal for hockey It's spectacular. Um, I guess I got to be careful how I phrase this. I was going to say the worst hockey city, but not, not the best hockey city in your mind. Um, to go to for whatever reason. It could, your answer is going to be correct. Right. You might Newark. piss some people off. but <laughs> Newark's tough. Oh, yeah. Just like if you stay near there, there's not a lot going on. It's like they almost don't have a town. It really are a city. It's, 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 a, it's a region. It's an area. Right. You know, Long Island used to be difficult. Like, like I respect the passion of Islanders fans, but from the selfish, like, coming to cover a game there, like, you literally stay in this hotel on the verge of a giant parking lot. Like, you could walk to a Chipotle. There was a gun shop mm -hmm. next to it. But, like, there, wasn't, there just wasn't a lot going on. I mean, that's, that's the way I'm... I'm not saying those are, like, the worst fans or anything like that, but covering those games were tough. Uh, St. Louis is growing on me. I used to find St. Louis. I'd only ever been in, in the winter time. Mm -hmm. And then when they went on that cup run in 2019, I got to be there when the weather was nicer. I was like, oh, okay, I'm seeing this city in a different light. Went to a ball Great game. Great sports city. Yeah. Awesome sports yeah. city. You know, there's really not that many bad ones. And no. that's not a diplomatic answer. I love going to all the Canadian cities. Mm -hmm. Some people might say they don't like going to Ottawa because it's in Canada, but I love going to Ottawa. I think it's, it's fun. Yeah. 
Uh, Winnipeg is. A- I'm from Winnipeg, and I can tell you, I, I hear that all the time. Oh, you know, player, players will tell you back in the day too, and now it's one of their favorite cities to visit to play at. For sure. But now they see they used to always go out. Right. It was a good city to go out in. Right. As as, as other cities, but now they just charter out after. So you don't really get that. They yeah. go in, they come out. Right. They don't really get players. Don't really go out. Don't really see them going out. Well, they go out when they they, they want. But to. they. But it's you're right. It's far more targeted. It's not yeah. like a regular course of action. Yeah. It's They might see two months out. Hey, it's on this day. Yeah, we yeah, got yeah. We got the chance. Uh, best story you've ever written. Ooh. Humbly, you've written written a lot of great stories. You're a great writer. That's hard. You know, one of my favorite ones is. I grew up with Justin Williams in Coburg, Ontario, and in 2014, when the Kings were on their way to to winning the Stanley Cup, and he ultimately won the Conn Smythe, I kind of wrote a story about what it was like to observe him, um, like to, to actually grow up with someone and see them on that stage. And because maybe it was from the heart, and, and I, you know, I, I was a little nervous to write it, quite honestly, because you don't want to put yourself in a story. Yeah. But at a time like that, when someone's starring in the playoffs, you know, the challenge when you do my job, Rod. And, and probably the same when you're you know, mm-hmm. broadcasting is finding new nuggets, right? Everybody's all over them. And I was like, man, I'm sitting on like no one, you know, I played against them when I was six years mm-hmm. old and none of these. And so that one's probably closest to and me. You got to dig for them. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes they just come to you in the middle of the night, but then you got to dig for them. Well, someone told me you either want to be first on a story. You want to be the best or you want to be different. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so if you use that as your bar for that, it was a chance to write something different about him than anyone else could. And and that one's probably one of my fondest. Uh, and I know his parents didn't mind it afterwards because you're nervous, right? Because, yeah. you know, it's not like I don't have special claim to him. I just happen to have been in the right place to know him at, at that time. That, that's probably one of my favorites. You know, I've written some longer form stories. Um, but, you know, I, I don't view myself as a writer so much. Like, I, I'm kind of a news guy a little bit. and so, Storyteller. You know, Storyteller, story reporter, insider. Anytime you can write from the heart, though, I think that yeah. that's that's those kind of stories stick with you, and, and so that that particular Justin Williams one is my favorite. Uh, who was? I think you answered this already, but maybe you haven't. Who was your hero growing up? My dad. Oh. Yeah, my dad. Uh, he and I have always had a special connection, and and yeah, just really probably followed a lot in his footsteps. Was so. he a writer? Was he? Did he no, storyteller? He, he worked at a factory, plastics factory, but. Just a super guy. Yeah. And, um, you know, both he and my mom, I was really lucky to have parents that I had that sort of, it was a crazy dream to want to be a hockey journalist. Yeah. When I had that dream, I had no ends. You know, my dad basically was done school at age 12. Like I didn't have, but I always had supportive parents who made me believe I could do it. And mm. I'm sitting here and I wouldn't be without them. Yeah. Well, they must be very proud of you. Uh, uh, as a hockey player, CJ, mm-hmm. who would you compare your skills to? Uh, let's think of, I, I, I put up a lot of points, but I wasn't too flashy. So, um, who fits that mold? Not too flashy. Put up a lot of points. Um, I scored a lot of goals, but wasn't, uh, wasn't going end to end to do it. Uh, so you were, were you like a Timmy, you weren't like a Timmy Kerr cause you'd be have a smaller, not knocking your yeah, height, but you'd be a smaller Timmy Kerr. I was pretty feisty too. Oh yeah? Yeah, I mean, a I, bulldog, like Connor McGregor stuff. I always in. had a chip on my shoulder. I, I, I was smaller. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if there's anyone quite in today's game. Yeah, they're the most of the, the smaller players, smallish players are pretty flashy. Right. You know, I didn't have like elite skills, but I was, I just was always had this weird knack to like you know, was, find the puck around there. Yeah. Well. Um, so I haven't given you a good answer, but that yeah, that was okay. that was I actually once scored correct three goals in twenty one seconds. Is, what is my Billy Mosienko? Yep, you pulled a Mosienko. Yep, 
in Pee Wee. Well, what was that a video game? No, it wasn't. Pee Wee where? Uh, in Coburg, and it's funny. Two empty netters. No, it was not. It's not. And what's and what's funny is that the article is actually in the Coburg Sports Hall of Fame now about it. Give me some. Yeah, and it was we were down in the third period. I scored the goals to make us go from four two down to five four, and we won the game six. Billy Mozienko. For those of you who don't know, Billy Mozienko still a record that I don't think will ever be beaten. No, three goals, twenty one seconds. Winnipegger. That's why I know him. Right. Got to meet him later. He had a bowling alley. I didn't even. I just knew him as a bowling guy. Then I saw. Three goals, 21 seconds. Yeah. So what kind of goals? Quickly, what kind of goals? It was like lightning striking. I mean, obviously the first goal is a goal, and then we went off the faceoff twice, and both times I came in and scored. You know, I mean, to score three goals in 21 seconds is not much time to play with. Maybe the time clock wasn't working. It might have been three and 19. I'm still wondering. Well, <laughs> probably, who knows? That's the thing. Yeah, but, yeah, and yeah. also, why did my coach not take me off the ice? I mean, usually you score a goal, and you're <laughs> the, the next line's up. So. Jeez, CJ, that's crazy. Uh, best movie ever. Your, your favorite movie? <sighs> Tin Cup. Oh, I like that. I love Tim and Cobb. Who love is it. this Roy McAvoy? But I, I always like sports movies mostly. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, I loved the Mighty Ducks movies. Uh, you know, I loved Happy I'm Gilmore. Yeah. Happy Gilmore is fantastic. Um, Slapshot. A little before my time. Like I yeah. wouldn't put that in my favorites, but I, I like the movie. There, you know, what the, it's, I think it's kind of sad, actually. Like when you think of sports movies, I love them all. Like the Rudy's. Yeah. Um, Durham, obviously, Field of Dreams. If I'm uh, watching golf. a Rudy, too, honestly, by the end, I'm sitting there on my couch crying. Oh, like, yeah. I don't know why. Just all, they, yeah. all those hit me all in the feels. Those, yeah. those I met that movies. dude a couple, the real Rudy huh. Rudiger, uh, a few years ago in Halifax. He's nowhere near what <laughs> the Rudy was like, <laughs> this guy. Uh, but there really hasn't been, beyond Slapshot, which is funny, in my a really great hockey movie. Not there. really. No. There's something for you to write. Let's get to collaborate. We'll get a hockey movie. No, there hasn't been one. There isn't a tearjerker, young blood, maybe, but that was like so long ago. Right. And then there's like some goofier ones in modern time. Yeah. But like, no, there's not really. I mean, Happy Gilmore is kind of a hockey golf movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there isn't. No. It hasn't really. I mean, and that might be the American audience, though. Right. Because in Canada, we would eat that up. It'd be hard to sell that, maybe, but. Let's get on it. Yeah, I remember growing up, Face Off was a big one. My, my buddy Art Hindle was in that. Oh, oh yeah. Like, that I remember was, that movie. Yeah. It, they were at the Igloo and yes, Pittsburgh. Yes, and like, yes, there's yes. all sorts of goofy stuff in there. Uh, okay, uh, only a couple more. Um, what, what did you realize? Was there any uh, epiphany that you had or, or just the perspective during COVID? Oh, man. I mean, I looked at everything in my life, honestly. Um, yeah, it was a really hard time for me, I'm sure for a lot of people. I mean, I was lucky. I kept my jobs and stuff like that. But it just having the whole world stop, the world that I was living in, traveling and all that. So I don't know if I had one epiphany. I, I think it, it gave me clarity, though, that life is really short. It gave me a chance to stop and, you know, jump off the treadmill, so to speak, or the, the hamster wheel and just be like, go for do what you want to do. And so I made a lot of life changes during that that period. And, and it really centers back to what i realized is i can't just live someone else i can't be living on autopilot i can't be living someone else's life i got to take ownership of everything right now mm. if uh, you were uh, the commissioner of the national hockey league you probably heard this one before and everybody has an iteration of this question what would it would there be a change and what change would you make if you could to the nhl i would change the, like play the maybe the, the the biggest one i would change the playoff format right. yesterday it's Thank it's you. 
I, it's just a pet peeve. I mean, Commissioner if Johnston. Here's the thing. If you're going to, this is my only thought on it. If you're going to play 82 games, which is a lot of regular season games, it really has to matter. And I feel like there's too much chance and there's been too many instances where, and it's been different divisions, but like, like three of the top five teams in the league are at the top of one division. And those teams all have to play each other in the first two rounds. I think it makes for sometimes a compelling first two rounds, but you, you're not necessarily getting the best teams represented in the end. And so I, I understand why they do it because they, they love the rivalries. They love the idea that Pittsburgh and Washington have played and, and you know, we had a Toronto-Montreal series, whatever. But I, I in the Battle of Alberta last year, for example, but I, I just think don't force it. Ideally, you'd really go to 116. Honestly, if you want to make yeah. it fair, but 1-8 in each conference, I like yeah. a lot better. And, and it, I think it makes the battles for eight a little more important or that battle for one. It, it just seemed... It, to me, it's it's nonsensical. Like what they have right now, it's illogical. And so why do that? I'd also put a wild card in. Yeah. I'm a big baseball fan, yeah. Rod, and we're getting here yeah. to the end of the season. Like, I love those I, wild card I games. I love it, too. I would have, you know, seven play 10 and eight play nine in some version yeah. of wild card to, to basically determine the bottom seeds in the conference. And, and make that wild card like they're doing in baseball because they, they don't want the wild card winning. But make it a little more prohibitive for them to pull off an upset. Make it, they have to come from a long way. If you're going to be a Cinderella, be the ultimate Cinderella. Right. I've actually seen some proposals where if you're 10, you almost have to, you have to beat nine and then beat eight and then beat seven, you know, some version of that. So that the the idea of the 10 team doesn't just have to get lucky on one game. But I I just think that we should expand the playoffs because there's just not that much between the teams. Uh, So I always end uh, these quick 18s with this question and uh, you it could be a thing or a person, the answer, but I want you to finish the sentence if you can. Uh, I, CJ, Chris Johnston, Commissioner Johnston, owe the success in my life to? Passion, hard work, and some good fortune. I like those answers. Passion, hard work, good fortune. That's you, man. Thank you for being here. This is like... This is, it's, it's been fun. Yeah, it's yeah, been great. It's been great. I could talk with you all day. And let's do it again. Yeah. There's invite gonna, me back to your living room and I'll yeah, be here, bro. Yeah. Quite a, quite a basement I got here. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Chris Johnston, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Rodcast. The Rodcast with Rod Black, brought to you by North Star Bets. That's a win.